All right. Welcome in. It is a Wednesday, and this is the Sports Huddle on SEMO ESPN, 1220 AM, 93.5 FM, and online at Eric Sean and the Missouri Sports Hall of Famer, Jess Bolin, inviting you to join us here in the huddle. Here's our EBOMD huddle hotline number 573-334-1220. The huddle hotline is powered by EBOMD. It will be a Wednesday Marty party. Marty Michau, the Love Shack, will join us a little bit later on in the show. Jess Bolin in the house. What's the latest? Well, nothing much. I went to Notre Dame's basketball game last night and um, watched a little bit of the Missouri University against Tennessee basketball game. And um, Mizzou played uh, fifth-ranked team in the country yeah. tight, but uh, of course lost. They um, lost a 13th straight game, Missouri. And you can't hardly see over the hill where they're going to win a game. You know, the rest of the games are in the SEC, which is a pretty powerful league. They only shot 38% from the field, but they hit 10 threes and still lost. 72-67 the final. They played better. You know, they were in the game up until the last 10 minutes, I guess, and Tennessee pulled away. But they got a long ways to go to be good. Mizzou actually had a seven-point lead in that game. Mm Mm-hmm. I thought there's a possibility there could be an upset, but that went down the drain pretty quick. Good teams will usually beat you in the last quarter of the game. And I see the last 10 minutes of that game is belong to Tennessee. And that's what you expect, you know, fifth-ranked team in the nation. And coming in, even though they're coming into Missouri territory, it's not going to work when you 12 game losing streak and looking to wonder how many times you're going to lose again where is there a victory on the horizon i don't see any but this like you said they got a great recru- recruiting class for next year at least what they think top 5 recruiting class so they'll probably be good next year i mean it doesn't take long to turn a program around if you've got 4 or 5 People coming in that's five-star type players. So we'll see, but it's not it's not worth your time to watch Missouri now. They're just not that good. This Dalton Connect who plays for Tennessee, averaging 20 points per game, he is a really good player. At 17 last night, Connect. One thing that Rick Barnes' teams always do, they play defense. But the last few years, Tennessee, it would be their offense that got them eliminated from the NCAA yeah, tournament. Watching the first half last night, it's almost like getting your gum scraped. It was so bad that nobody could score. At halftime, I think Tennessee was shooting 29%, Missouri shooting 30 So that's pretty tough to watch. And um, But... You can call it defense. I call it maybe Tennessee's defense. Missouri's defense probably wasn't holding anybody. It's just a bad night. Low scoring at halftime. Mizzou was up three, 29-26. This Dalton Connect, though, what he does for Tennessee's offense, 
He is a legitimate bucket getter. No words. When he, they need a bucket, eggs. he yeah. can go get it. And yeah. I don't know that Tennessee has had that a lot in the last few years. They've been good under Barnes, really good. Uh, this may be a team that could make a run to the Elite Eight or the Final Four. Tennessee's pretty good. Oh, well, who's the best team in the Southeastern Conference? Is it Tennessee? Well, Tennessee and um, Alabama right now. Trying to see what the uh, standings are. Yeah, uh, Alabama ten and two, Tennessee ten and three, and then of course Missouri. Do they play 13. again? I wonder. Zero oh, and thirteen for the Tigers, who have five games left. They may go winless, Jeff. Oh yeah, I look for them to do that, and that would be eighteen straight losses. Wow. So Tennessee goes to Alabama. With three games left in the regular season. So they've got two more games, A&M and Auburn. Auburn, that's going to be a tough game. They're really good. Uh, and then they go to Alabama, South Carolina, Kentucky. So they've got a gauntlet coming up. They they play four ranked teams to end the season. They may, that may be good for you, though, going into the NCAA tournament to really have a tough schedule down the stretch. If, if I was coaching... One of those teams, I, I wouldn't want any patsies my last four or five games. I'd want some good competition, get my team ready to go in the NCAA. Does NCAA actually start on March 1? No. It starts earlier? It's, no, it's, it's later into March when the tournament actually starts. They still have the play-in game, right? Right. That's what Southeast was in last year, wasn't it? The play-in game? Right. Okay, March 19th and 20th is when they play the play-ins. First round of the NCAA tournament starts March 21st. March 21st for the first round. The first four, March 19th. Almost get into April. Yeah. The Elite Eight is March 30th and 31st, so Final Four is in April. Mm -hmm. Trying to see what day. It'll be April 1st or 2nd. So you've got six teams in the SEC that are ranked. Tennessee's one of those. So there are five other teams other than Tennessee that are ranked. And Tennessee has to play four of the five in their final four games. So if they win it, and they're a game back of Alabama, if they win it, they earn it. Whoever is going to win it. Auburn's only a game uh, back of Tennessee. They're nine and four. So, And they have to go, uh, Tennessee has to go to Auburn? I believe they do. Yeah, that'll be a tough game for them. No doubt. It's hard to win on the road. Let's face it. It's, uh, I think the fans... they they host Auburn. Oh, okay. They got to go to Alabama and South Carolina, and then they wrap the season at home against Kentucky, who has won two straight. Kentucky. The big news in college basketball last night, not 
Mizzou and Tennessee was the fact that the reigning national champions, the number one ranked team in the nation, UConn, went to Creighton yeah, went and down. got drubbed. They uh-huh. lost by 19 points to the Blue Jays, who were ranked 15. Yeah, they were talking about that on my way over to the studio. I don't think it's some massive... Bob Gibson's old school, Creighton. I don't think it's a massive upset that Creighton beat UConn, but that they beat him by 19 points. That is shocking. So that's a good win for Creighton. So UConn, 14 and 2 in the Big East. They're 24 and 3 overall, only their third loss. Well, what I thought was interesting, when the selection committee put out their like projected number one seeds. They had Purdue number one, UConn number two. That shocked a lot of people. I don't think if you set UConn and Purdue up on a neutral floor, more people are going to put their money on UConn than Purdue. No no disrespect to Purdue. And Zach Eady is a terrific player. But on a neutral site, I guarantee you UConn would be favored. Just my thought. So... Down go the Huskies. And we have college baseball today, Jess. The Murray State Racers will be in town. SEMO. Uh, I don't know who the Red Hawks are going to start today. They they kind of were mulling over uh, starting a kid, lefty, named Alex Hayes, who pitched really well for the Red Hawks over the weekend in relief. Really good. So I'll be interested to see. I don't know that they've announced who's going to pitch. But it could be Alex Hayes. I think you'll like him, Jess. Lefty, and he can get lefties and righties out. No, that's big. A lot of pitchers are good against the same side hitter and really struggle against the other side. So he's pretty successful getting the other side out. And I'm talking about lefty against righties. That kind of stuff. Um, you got a good chance to be successful. Well, I take it back. They, uh, I'm pulling up the game notes here, and they are going to go with Sam Heyman today rather than uh, rather than. What's his story? Heyman pitched over the weekend. He's got really good stuff. He he um, he pitched a scoreless inning, and then they got to him a little bit. But he is from Chabot College out in California, the same college Joey Lucchese pitched at. So that's a nice little pipeline. Yeah, it is. So we'll see him today. He's a right-hander. And I would think we'll probably see Alex Hayes. You know, if you're in a safe situation, you'll you'll get, you know, Kyle Miller probably at the end. 3 o'clock first pitch. And, Jess, you get an opportunity to – to uh, take a look at some of these guys who SEMO has new guys that you have not seen, uh, like their first baseman, Bryce Cannon, who hit that powerful home run that just launched it over the scoreboard. Cannon hit a cannon shot. That's what he did. Yeah. And you get a look at uh, Michael Mugen, their center fielder now. He played left in the first game, then center. Uh, in the final two games, and he had a two-home run game against Dallas Baptist, but he had five RBIs 
in the series. You get a look at him and their uh, their freshman second baseman, Jess Brooks Kettering, pretty good little player. So, so those are some of the names that you'll you'll see. I don't know who will catch. They've got a kid who's got a above average throwing arm, Jess, a plus throwing arm, Shea McGann behind the plate. Uh, I don't know if we'll see him today. It was interesting because let's Andy Soares was a catcher. He's got three catchers and believes that they're all going to get playing time this year, and they started one game apiece in that series. You had Ty Staus starting on Friday, and then McGann started Saturday, and then Nolan Ackerman started on Sunday. So they're, they've got a little depth at the catching position. Yeah, and that's what you have to do early in the year. You have to give kids a chance. You've been practicing, practicing, practicing. And so game time comes. You don't want certain kids to sit there and wait a week, week and a half, to actually get game experience. So I think it's a wise move catching all three of those guys a game apiece. So Sam Heyman pitched two and a third innings against Dallas Baptist. Now he gave up two earned on just two hits, a couple of Ks, no walks for Heyman, who will start today. But that big Dallas Baptist offense, they only hit 200 against him in his two and a third. So threw the ball pretty well. They they really like him. What I think is interesting about uh, Alex Hayes, the left-handed pitcher, who at least now it looks like he'll come out of the pen. Maybe he'll be a midweek starter. Don't know. We'll have to see. Uh, mighty work his way into the conference rotation. Don't know. Uh, but Alex Hayes. And I thought, you go back to that uh, 2015 championship team when they won three in a row. Their top two pitchers were Alex Winkleman and OVC Pitcher of the Year, Travis Hayes. Alex Winkleman, Travis Hayes. And now we get a guy named Alex Hayes. And remember, Winkleman and Hayes played together on that Festus team that won a state championship in Legion Ball. Well, Hayes actually wound up pitching for me also. Yeah. Good pitcher. Won a pitcher of the year in the OVC. Yeah. So, and championship DNA. So, uh, some of the new guys that we will uh, that we'll see, I don't know who we'll all see today, but we know Sam Heyman will be starting. And Murray State, Jess, they have won... 30 or more games three years in a row. It's only the second time that's ever happened in Murray State baseball history. You know, Johnny Reagan had some teams that won three straight years of over 30 victories. So it is an up time for Dan Skirka, who's in his sixth season as the head coach at Murray State. They're pretty good. They outscored, and again, Purdue-Fort Wayne is not a good baseball program. They went eight, uh, 13-43 last year. But Murray State outscored them 33-5 to in that series. They've got some guys that can rake. So uh, the Red Hawks are going to be facing a big offense. Uh, we'll see how big SEMO's offense is. They had their moments, certainly, over the weekend down in Dallas. I'm glad Murray is playing Southeast. When they left the conference, you kind of wondered if they would. I think you always need games against Carbondale and Murray, especially those two, because it's easy to drive to those games and be back in an hour, hour and 15 minutes. And um, it's usually good competition, too. Although these, those three teams are 
I'd say Southeast may be better than those other two historically in the last 20 years. But it's close. SIU Carbondale's always got a good ball club. And Murray's always competitive with Southeast. You know, it's, it's good. I wouldn't call it a rivalry, but... Yeah, it's a rivalry. It, it's pretty dedicated to playing good baseball. They played them home and home last year, and Murray State won both games. Shut SEMO out at Kappa Hall last year, 5 nothing. And today, Jess, it's Taco Tuesday at Kappa Hall and $2 Tuesday. So you get in the game for 2 bucks. Now, students get in free with their IDs, but 2 bucks. you want to come out and watch the Red Hawks, you can bring your cooler. Um, I think it's like a $5 charge, something like that, to bring a cooler. Uh, and stock it with whatever you want. You can't bring food in, but you got $2 tacos. Well, $6 taco last Tuesday. night to watch a high school game. Yeah, there you go. Basketball. So they play Murray State a home-and-home. SEMO home. Uh, will host St. Thomas out of Minnesota this weekend, four-game series. And they go to Mizzou next Tuesday, and then they're back home. This, uh, this is a pretty good homestand that they've got. With the one road game being Mizzou on Tuesday. So, for SEMO, the next five games are at Kappa Hall. Murray today, St. Thomas, doubleheader Friday, or I'm sorry, uh, single game Friday, doubleheader Saturday, and then a single game on Sunday against St. Thomas. Then it's at Mizzou. Then Toledo comes in the following weekend. And it is a midweek game with Middle Tennessee before we make this long, long drive to Huntington, West Virginia, and go to Marshall for a weekend series. Just had a long nine-hour bus trip. I, I have to type it in my map quest about how far Huntington, West Virginia is. Can't remember going there for baseball. I do remember Tim Billings' first game as SEMO football coach in 2000. Remember, he came from Marshall, and they played at Marshall. So I've been to Marshall, but not for baseball. You didn't go through AT&T, AT&T Stadium, did you, down there? Think that what it is for Dallas Cowboys? In Texas? Yeah. No, we didn't go anywhere. Of course, that's not in Dallas. I think it's in... Arlington? Arlington, yeah. Well, it's worth going through if you've never seen it. It's um, The jumbotron they got there, it looks like a freight train. It's so big and just perfectly clear. Remember how the jumbotrons used to be big and and nice to have, but the picture was always fuzzy or weak? Not anymore. HDTV has really come in and upgraded everything. I mean, sit down and you watch... TV and it's a clearer, more clear picture than you get with your own eyes when you look around. It's a great improvement in television. Well, in all communication, phones, iPhones. Okay, I just threw it in MapQuest. It is six hours and forty nine minutes to Huntington, four hundred forty nine miles. So not as not, no, as, not as long as Dallas. Not as bad as Dallas. So there you go. Um, once again, this year, 
St. Louis University and Arkansas State refused to play SEMO. That's the second year in a row. So it looks like those long-standing home-and-home series with those two schools are out. I always look forward to St. Louis because you know he's going to freeze to death that night and chase papers all over the back of the home plate there where you're sitting on folding chair trying to do the game at a little poker table. That's that's a disgrace for that team to have that kind of the ball feels great sitting right behind Shavit Center, but they couldn't spend a hundred thousand dollars to have some kind of press box. There. No, no, that's silly. So we don't have to worry about it anymore. We're not playing St. Louis. Uh, so what they did, they replaced Arkansas State and SLU with home and homes with Murray and home and home with Evansville. Those are the replacements. Well, Evansville's not really a bad trip either. Three hours. You know, it's, I mean, we're there for the NCAA no, no, uh, basketball They probably team. don't go the two-way road route, do they? Yeah. The bus. They go through El Dorado. Do they? Yeah. I never did think it was three hours. I thought it was less than that. Yeah, it is, actually. I Three hours is a little much. It's yeah. under three hours. So that's, not, that's a good deponent to pick up. And they've got, um, they don't return the trip. But every year, you know, you've got Missouri State. This year, it's a home-and-home, home, single games, and then home-and-home home with SIU. And they're not re- – they go to Austin P, but P does not come here. And they host Middle Tennessee, and we do not go to Murfreesboro. So those are single games. So that's what you've got. And Western Kentucky comes in here. Well, I'm going to have to go back to and – be in and, the conference. What's that? Middle Tennessee used to be in the conference. So did Western Kentucky. And, in fact, the final year that Middle Tennessee was in the OVC, I'm pretty sure about this. I think it was 99, and SEMO hosted the OVC baseball tournament back then. You hosted, SEMO hosted like three in a row. I was there. Yeah, and Middle Tennessee, I think that was their last year in the OVC. Uh, but Western Kentucky, when was the last time you can remember Western Kentucky coming here? Gosh, I don't even It's been a long time since they played Western Kentucky in, yeah. baseball, in baseball. In any sport, they don't play them in basketball. They have. I remember when Mike Legg first left here and went to Western Kentucky about two or three years into Legg being the voice of the Hilltoppers, we went over there and played a men's game, played a women's game there. But they don't really play Western Kentucky baseball or basketball anymore don't play them in football anyway so there you go three o'clock first pitch at Capahaw park um st louis blues jess gonna get back on the ice tomorrow night as the new york islanders come in and try to get things headed back in the right direction. They've lost three out of their last four games. Yeah, they were playing good. They won 9 of 12. Now they've slid backwards again. They've put Justin Falk on long-term IR, so it's going to be a while for him. He's had a tough year staying healthy enough to play. A good player, really good defender. But um, And he's got a pretty hard slap shot, you know, when he does come into the offensive zone. Defense people, two defenders in the hockey, 
the pinch in is the way they call it on the offensive line when it's a prospective play where they're controlling the puck and maybe push the offense a little and one defender will always stay back by the blue line, past the blue line, to pick up anything that's going the other way. You know, a deflected puck where somebody picks it off and heads the other way. They always have to have a defender back. And usually it's Pareko because he's such a fast skater that if somebody gets an angle on him, he can usually catch up. He's so so fast. But um, Falk has got a pretty good shot, and he's really a good defensive player. I hate to see him go down because well, he's been down this year several games, but now it looks like he's probably done for the year. That's a shame because – the Blues are not good enough to lose quality players like that and not be affected. Of course, I don't know who it, who's got the team that's not affected by losing one of their top five players. Do you? I mean, in any sport, you're affected by it, but sometimes the other four, if it, like basketball, they can pick up the slack, and whoever comes in to replace that player is good enough to hold his own maybe but not be the outstanding player that you lost. So you go ahead and win. The Blues, I don't think, have the support behind some of these guys, especially on defense. They've got some prospects, but that's what you are until you prove yourself. So that's a hit for the Blues, to lose Falk. I wonder what they're going to do at the trade deadline. Oh, well, I would think they'd try to pick up an offensive player. and a, Well, they need an offensive player and a defensive player. But if I were the Blues, which I'm not, I would say they probably need to pick up a defensive player more than they would offensive player. Because you just lost Falk, and he's top-flight defensive player. So you're going to get into your... Bench a little bit. You think they just may stand pat? Yeah, I think they might. And they're not good enough if they stand pat. They they might win a series, but well, no, they probably wouldn't win a series because the way it's matched up in the hockey now, the, wouldn't if they finish the last place wild card, wouldn't they play the number one team, or would they play the other wild card first? I don't know how that's set up. A lot of times they left the wild card games matches those guys those teams up to get rid of one of them. One thing, and you know, last week Rob Manfred made the announcement that he would be retiring after the twenty twenty nine season. Made a lot of changes uh, recently with the rule changes and the bigger bases and the pitch clock and you know some of the the rules disengagement from the rubber and all that stuff so that's all good the one thing that they have not done and i think they should is to reseed the teams like okay you are the atlanta braves you beat the philadelphia phillies by 13 freaking games and here you go and quickly, you're matched back up with the Phillies in the playoffs. 
I think reseeding the teams. I, I do too. I think they you should. Mean after I, the I first, think they, yes, first round. Yes, yeah. I think they should do it in the NFL. I think they should reseed because but don't you, sometimes you've got yes, hockey does. Hockey does it. Yeah. Or they used to. I don't know I if they, they went back. Do. I think they should. Okay. But anyway, but I, in the I NFL, yeah. you can be a division champ. Let's say you're 8-9. and nine, And someone's a wild card, and they may be 12-5, and five, but they didn't win their division. You host them. I There's a way that you can still reward a team for winning a division, but also... Reward a team that went twelve and five and had a much better record than a division champion by reseeding. Well, after see, the first I don't round. think just because you won the division, you should get a home series against a team that's twenty games over five hundred. I think the record should stand, whether you play a division opponent or not. The best record gets home field. So, but that happens a lot. A team like a Central Division, not very strong. You win the division, maybe you got eighty-five wins. And now you're playing a team that's got not like that one year where the Dodgers had, what, 100 wins and finished second to the Giants? Remember when Giants won 105 or 106? And the Dodgers really are second place. I think it was 107 for the Giants, 106 for the Dodgers. Yeah, and so the Dodgers really then is the team that would come to St. Louis if St. Louis had an 83-79 record. Ain't that true? Yeah. And that's not right. I think you should go by the record regardless of division. So we know who is going to be on the mound Saturday for the Cardinals. They play a split squad game. They'll take on Miami, who they share Roger Dean Stadium with, and they go to the Mets, so it's split squad. The starting pitchers, Jess, are going to be Zach Thompson and Matthew Liebertor. <clears throat> Very interesting because we don't know what the Cardinals' thought process is with those two guys. Might one of them be vying for a bullpen spot? One of them likely is going to be sent to Memphis to stay stretched out as a starting pitcher. Would they send both of them to Memphis to stay stretched out? But those will be the, the top two pitchers on Saturday pitching in those split squad games. Well, I think the, the question of whether they both would be sent to Memphis as starters would depend a lot if there's an injury or something happens in spring training. For instance, if, let's say, Matt goes down, he's going to be out for two months, well, then you certainly may send both of them down to be a starting pitcher, maybe one going into the rotation, you know, the other one going down to be a starter. But that doesn't happen. I think they want Thompson to work as a starter. And Libertor is actually effective out of the bullpen because they had a problem with Libertor that he wouldn't max out on his fastball. You remember that during the season? They kind of had a come-to-Jesus meeting with him that they wanted the all-out effort. If you give us five, that's okay. But don't go out there and try to pace yourself to give us seven. But when he comes in out of the bullpen... He does max out, and he, that's why he's effective. So I can see Thompson being a starting candidate more than Libertor now. I used to think otherwise, but Thompson's not a a bad young prospect himself. 
I mean, he can get it up 95, 97 miles an hour, left-handed pitcher, so that's pretty good. And he's got a really nice, both of them have nice curveballs, both of them. So they got to get something out of one of them. You know what I mean? If the cards are going to do anything, some of those guys like him and Mason Wynn and Tommy Edmond have to improve their game. So we said we let you know that it is two dollar Tuesday at Kapaha to come out and watch the Red Hawks. Just you, you just wanna you wanna give away some tickets to that game today? I don't care. All right, I'm not I, paying for them. I've got a four pack of tickets to caller number one at three three four twelve twenty Red Hawk baseball tickets for today versus Murray State three o'clock. Four pack of tickets. And Jess, then we'll bring uh, the Love Shack on. That that work for you? Good. Yeah. All right. All right. Marty Michelle will join us. Stay tuned. The Wednesday Marty party coming up. Four SEMO baseball tickets. First caller at 334-1220. Good luck. Sports Huddle, SEMO, ESPN, 1220 AM, 93.5 FM. And you can always find us online, We were out on Monday traveling back from Dallas, Texas with SEMO Baseball. So Marty Michau agreed to jump in with us here on Wednesday where we have the Marty party. How was your, uh, your weekend, Marty? Oh, man, good weekend, and what a day today. Spring is already in the air this early in the uh, not even close to spring yet, and Jess, I'm surprised you didn't sing today on a 70-degree day. <laughs> well, I don't have that powerful voice yet, you know, that I used to have. That's yeah, tongue-in-cheek statement. Do but, I? Uh, man, yeah, it was a good weekend. Watched a lot of basketball, watched the SEMO baseball, man. We and Eric were talking uh Sure, you guys talk about it, man. You know, I know they lost all three games. The Seabo looked good. You never can tell how baseball season's going to go. But I'd be surprised after seeing that series that Seabo doesn't have a a, a, good, a really good season like they usually do the last several years. I know last year was marred by the eleven game losing streak in the season. They were headed to another really good year, but Coach Torres has built up a really I say built up. I mean, Beezer had it going so good, but it's always a little transition. It's always I, I talked about this when Coach Torres took over. I almost felt sorry for him because it's almost like a, a no-win situation when you take over for a guy that just won three straight titles. But man, he's navigated it expertly, and he's built them back up to pretty well where they were. You know, they had some new guys in the lineup. What I think is interesting is the guy they started in left field on Friday, Michael Mugan, then they moved him to center the final two days, had a two-home run game, led them in RBIs over the weekend. This is his first timeout as a Red Hawk, Marty. Now, he played his freshman year at Santa Clara, then went to junior college. But you're talking about, uh, your first game with a new team, and Michael Mugan is in the three-hole. That kind of tells you what they think of Michael Mugan's ability to hit the baseball. No doubt. And I, I heard you when you I, – I guess last week you had Coach Sawyers on. And, uh, man, one one thing I love about Coach Sawyers, man, he's such a good speaker about his team. Man, he gave a scouting report, I think, on every player on the team on your show, Eric, which is fun to listen to, so – he pretty well, uh, and he pretty well nailed it. All the guys he was high on, they, most of them did good over the weekend, you know. And uh, 
I'm sure the encouraging thing for Simo is the guy you would think would be their best hitter, Josh Cameron, really struggled over the weekend, and you know that won't last. So you had all those new guys really contributing, and you still got a lot of good guys, you know, very good players coming back. So looks like a really good mix. We'll see how deep their pitching goes. You know, uh, that's uh, as you guys know, that's always the key. Even in the OVC, OVC pitching staffs are never going to be super deep like the big conference teams, but – you got to have a little depth if you want to, you know, consistently win series once the OVC play starts. And it's it's too early to tell if Murray State's going to be really good. I mean, three thirty win seasons in a row is great. Fort Wayne, uh, you know, they're they're just not uh, on the upswing as a baseball program right now. Thirteen and forty three last year, but. Murray State put up 33 runs in that series, so uh, we may see some uh, some offense at Capitol Hall today, Marty, and with the temperature supposed to top out around 67, I don't know which way the wind is blowing, but a warmer day, uh, we may have some fireworks today. Yeah, I think Murray should be good. I think they were, I think I saw they were maybe picked fourth in Missouri Valley, and you never know in the middle of the week after playing three games what kind of pitching you'll face, so... But, you know, who knows what's going on. We There's been tons of games, the midweek games, you're thinking, well, everybody's out of pitching, so this is going to be a slugfest, and it turns out to be a low-scoring game. You never know. But I'm looking forward to it, man, with a great weather day like this. should be fun. And uh, $2 uh, Tuesday, Marty, and Taco Tuesday. Man, only thing better than that would be if, they, if today was one of the free beer days. That's the only way they could top that $2 Taco Tuesday. Murray State finished fifth last year in the Missouri Valley. They've they've got ten baseball programs, uh, and so they finished fifth. So they are fourteen and thirteen. That's not a bad debut in the valley for them. No, that's a good uh, that's a good conference. You know, it's a good conference in most sports. So yeah, if you finish middle of pack in that conference, it means you probably got a pretty good team. Hey, Rusty Hendricks just uh, sent me this. Apparently, uh, Caden Bogenpole from Jackson hit two home runs against Oral Roberts over the weekend uh, against uh, uh, for Missouri State. That's a nice debut for him. Oh, man, yeah. I saw one publication, I think, that rated him like the uh, Missouri Valley uh, newcomer freshman of the year, you know, or newcomer, top newcomer, man. He was uh, – and I, I, I think I read a little bit where I think they're mainly going to hit him. They might pitch him a little. I know it. At Jackson, he was such a dominant guy both ways. But, uh, yeah, man, and Oral Roberts is – well, shoot, they made the uh, – was it the College World Series last year, I think. Yeah, so that's pretty impressive debut. All right, uh, basketball, Marty, four games left. The women are in a tie for eighth with Tennessee State. The men are one game in the loss column out of – the number eight slot and unfortunately for the men they've got to play the top three teams in the league here coming down the stretch little rock who's won five in a row martin i believe has won three in a row uh and then they go to moorhead state next thursday who is the number one team in the league but has come back to the pack a little bit here three straight law well actually uh three straight losses they just lost again marty so Moorhead, Martin, Western Illinois, and Little Rock, all with four losses at the top of the league. 
Yeah, last night didn't help Simo's men at all, man. I was watching that game, and Southern Indiana played the game of their year to upset Moorhead. Ed Moorhead, Moorhead, I think, had the fifth or sixth longest home winning streak in the nation, like something like, I don't know, 16, 17 home wins. So that's one of the – there's basically three teams fighting for the eighth spot on the men. Tech, Southern Indiana, and SEMO. And that win for Sunday, Southern Indiana last night put them at five wins. SEMO's got three. So basically and, – and, and Southern Indiana has a game, home game left with Lindenwood. And Lindenwood hasn't even come close to winning an OVC game other than, hate to say it, the two wins they have over SEMO. So you've got to think that's almost a sure win. So that gets Southern Indiana to six wins. So SEMO, fortunately, they beat Southern Indiana once. So for them to finish ahead of Southern Indiana, they've got to win three of their next four games probably, and assuming one of those is beating Southern Indiana, that's going to be a tall task. And that's not even counting what Tennessee Tech might do in their last four games. They're one game ahead of SEMO. So that was other than SEMO's losses this year, that was probably the worst result. Timo's had all year was that game last night by Southern Indiana beating Moorhead. Absolutely. So right now you would uh, I don't know how would you how would you chalk up this season for Simo? Just kind of a you know you look at no starters back. I mean Dylan Branson was a starter, but what he started three games this year. He's constantly been hurt. Smart did start twenty five games last year, but he wasn't a you know a constant starter. And right now he's not starting. Um, so you replace your top three scores, four of your top five scores, and uh, the, you know it it is unlikely that they make the OVC tournament. Uh, that kind of just leads you to believe, boy, this is a massive recruiting class coming up. And uh, it'll be interesting to see which players uh, are not on the Red Hawk roster next year that are currently here now. Yeah, this season is similar, I think, to what's happening in Zoo. You know, you probably knew there'd be a little regression just because of the players you lost. And you look at when Zoo lost last year, Kobe Brown had a breakthrough, unbelievable season, and they had a couple of transfers last year. They really hit on, like, Goldstein and another guy who's playing in the NBA G League. But anyway, so you knew it would be a little transition. You know, you, you did now, what people seem to forget, SEMA wasn't all that hot last year until the last week of the, of, of the year when they won the OVC tournament. They went into the OVC tournament with a losing record, so it's not like SEMA had some – unbelievable season last year they made it great with a one-week stretch at, at the very end but with what they lost you knew it was going to be tough to make that up offensively and in, in hindsight looking considering the fact they were horrible defensively last year but they were able to make up for it a lot because of their offense they're horrible defensively again but you knew they weren't going to be able to score like they did last year. You figured they weren't going to be. So it's not a surprise they took a step back. I'm sure it's a surprise to most people that they've taken this far of a step back. Now, they could still, I mean, if, if you know, winning three of their last four, you think that would be stunning because they haven't shown they could do anything close to that all year. They could still make the OVC tournament. But like I say, last night's result. For Southern Indiana is going to make it extra tough, but 
definitely a disappointing year. You nobody expected him to be one of the worst teams in the OVC in, in, in what's now, let's face it, one of the worst four conferences in the country. You don't expect that, but it will be interesting next year because on paper, SEMO has no scholarships to give if nobody leaves. But, you know, they need – now, they have some good – probably me and Eric talked about this. Man, they got some promising young talent. Look, look at what Marquez Bell has done lately. Look at Evan Ursher. uh B.J. Ward, I mean, they've got some good young talent. But I'd say minimum, I'm not talking about bringing in freshmen, minimum they need three. You, you never can know for sure when you get a guy out of the transfer portal how he's going to do, but they need to try to hit on two or three pretty good players in the transfer portal, including at least one bigger guy to take. Because let's face it, the last month of the season or so, Josh Early's been your best player, and he's the only one losing his eligibility. So you probably need to hit, I'd say, on two or three pretty good guys in the transfer portal for you to feel good going into next year. Wouldn't you agree with that? i got a question to ask, Marty, and I don't really know the answer. That's why I'm going to ask you or Eric, either one. If you don't have any scholarships to give, how can you do any good on the transfer portal? Well, I was going to get to that. Uh, that's, the, the statistical average of every team in the country loses like two or three players a year that still have eligibility. And this is a sore subject because you can't really talk to Coach Horn about it if you're Eric. But, you know, there's ways where, you know, you just suggest guys, you know, you probably be better off playing somewhere else. You're not really built for this level. Eric knows what I'm talking about. Well, yeah, I would know what you're talking about also. Yeah, everybody knows what I'm talking about. And the bottom line I've had to is do that myself I'd be willing to times. two or three guys that have eligibility off this year's team will not be around next year. I would agree. And I used to do that, Marty, that same story in midseason. <laughs> <laughs> hey, trust me, if you could do it in college, in, in, in pro sports, you can do it midseason. <laughs> You can cut guys and get guys off the waiver wire. You know me. You remember back some of those teams in the 80s and 90s, I would see a really good boy or outstanding player. I'd bring him in, you know. Uh, Got to make room. Oh, I, I, I know you did. But anyway, getting over what we were talking about, the Simo, you know, Simo uh, really hasn't been a good defense. It's hard for me to imagine all of a sudden next year they become a good defensive team. So if you're not a good defensive team, and really they haven't been a good rebounding team the last couple of years, even with Kobe Clark last year, they weren't as a team a good rebounding team. So you need a more offense. So they're going to have to try to hope that they can find a couple guys in the portal. Like, well, I heard, uh, I heard on, uh, I guess it was the coaches' show maybe Monday. I think I heard uh, Coach Horn obviously can't get in specific. But then, Eric, didn't you ask him about maybe do you need a shooter? And Coach Corn said, we just need a guy who can score. Didn't he say that? That's what he said. Yeah, so – and it's easier said than done because if you see – and me and Eric talked about this before a SEMO basketball game recently. Uh, last several years, all the really good mid- to low-major players, they're now doing really good at the high-major conference. You guys are talking about uh, Tennessee that all can connect. He played his first two years at Northern Colorado. Yeah. I mean, Northern Colorado, they're like a, such a low-level D1 program. We talked about this. Two of the best players in the SEC 
played at Moorhead State two years ago. Auburn's best player was at Moorhead State two years ago. When it's out, my point making is all these good players from that level are going higher. So I think now you're seeing more and more that guys are looking for these really good players at a lower level like D2, NEI. Look what Moorhead's done with NEI players. That's the next, I think, big wave. Look what Evansville did with that guy. I know he's been hurt. That Hummer House, I think that's the next, next wave. These lower-level B1s are looking for the great D2 and NEI players that want to move up just like their, the low-level D1s want to move up too. Because let's face it, if you get a really good freshman these days in a lower-level conference and he does tremendous for a couple of years, he's probably leaving Marty, on the women's side of the uh, OVC, women's basketball, last year, first year in the league, Little Rock wins the regular season title. And one year later, in only their second season at Division I, Southern Indiana clinched the title at Moorhead last night. They're the champions, 14-1. and one. Uh, that That's pretty amazing. Two teams that just came to the conference back-to-back championships in women's basketball for Little Rock and Southern Indiana. Little Rock at least was a really good Sunbelt program, but for Southern Indiana, second year Division One, didn't even make the OVC tournament last year. I think they lost at least their leading score, maybe their top two scores, and they just ran away with the title. And you talk about not having many close games. They haven't had many close games this year. That That's an amazing thing, and this is going to be something to look out for in the tournament because they can't go to the NCAA tournament. So if they win that tournament, whoever they beat in the championship game is going to go to the tournament. So that will be could be an interesting twist. You know, it's funny, looking back, remember the first game of the conference season when FEMO just got destroyed by Southern Indiana? Yes. Was, was it like 36 or 37 points, whatever it was? And we were talking about, you know, Southern Anna looked okay, but they're not supposed to be that good. But in retrospect, that wasn't that big a shock now because they've drugged almost every team they've played other than that one hiccup they had. So pretty amazing uh, for Southern Indiana. And that'll be the final game of the regular season. That may be a huge game uh, for the SEMO women, Marty, to work their way into the tournament. And I don't know, do you think Southern Indiana might rest some of their players in a game like that or no? Uh, I, don't, I don't know. They could, you know, maybe start their play to start as some. But uh, think about SEMO women. I know right now they're tied with Tennessee State, and they own the tiebreaker. And uh, Lindenwood's still in the running. They're a game behind those two teams. So SEMO's women, I'd say if they can win a couple more games, they uh, – They'll have a decent shot to get in. Uh, so there's definitely the women right now have a better shot than the men. And the men still aren't out of it. But, man, that, that result last night really hurt the men. What else, Marty? I think we covered it. Uh, anyway, yeah. Hey, I heard you guys talking about Mizzou. I want to say one more thing about Mizzou. Yeah. Mizzou needs to get a hit on a few guys in the portal, too, because I know they, they've got a tremendous recruiting class. They had a tremendous recruiting class this year. But unless you get the freshmen that are like those one-and-done types, most of those freshmen aren't ready to dominate a high-level conference. So they're going to need more next year than just their recruiting class. They're going to make sure they're going to have to make sure they 
they hold on to their good players this year, like that uh, Bates who transferred from Indiana has had a good year. But but Mizzou's going to have to get a couple good guys in the portal too. So uh, everybody's looking, and the bad thing, you know, everybody's looking for those good guys in the portal, and not everybody can get them. Three o'clock. I'm guessing you'll be at Capoha today to watch some baseball. I'll be there. It should be a great day. Hope it's a good crowd. Should be fun. Marty, we will see you at the ballpark. Thanks for stopping by. All right. See you guys. All right. That is the uh, Love Shack. Marty Michau. Just hello to the uh, radiant and ravishing Dawn Sean. She's coming to the Red Hawk baseball game today. Uh-oh. Guess what day it is. Guess what day it is. Huh? Anybody? Julie. Hey, guess what day it is. Oh, come on, I know you can hear me. Mike, 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 Mike. What day is it, Mike? <laughs> Leslie, guess what today is? It's hump day. Woo-hoo! And that means it's also Wednesday. I love that woman's voice. Wednesday wisdom. Uh, how about uh, me saying hi to my girls, too, down in Texas and Columbia, and uh, my boys running around here somewhere, and Neva, my little sister. Uh, today's Wednesday wisdom is new material, so be sure and... Write this down. It's something that's going to be vital in your future. Albert Einstein never wore socks. You know that, Aaron? I don't know why, but he never wore socks. Under extremely powerful pressure, peanut butter can turn into diamonds. Well, so if you've got a jar of peanut butter, you're sitting on a fortune. And this is the last one. A 20-ounce Mountain Dew contains the equivalent of 22 packets of of sugar. So when you give that six year old that Mountain Dew <laughs> and he, they go wild, just remember it's your fault. <laughs> That's and all I got. Yeah, keep the Mountain Dew away I'm from done. the little ones. All right, Jess, uh, three o'clock first pitch, Simo and Murray State at Capitol Hall. We'll see you at the ballpark. All right. All right, stay tuned. Greeny is coming up. Hope you enjoy your Wednesday, everybody.